I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanika. Last week, we launched our show in front of a live audience, and it was standing room only at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Hello, my name is PJ Vogt. Uh, I co-host a show called Reply All at Gimlet. The reason we are here is that this is the launch party for Uncivil, a podcast that we are so... So we taped the show that night with some incredible guests, and it was all about Civil War myths, the cranky lies you see on Twitter, or the stuff you hear at family get-togethers, that the war was really about states' rights, or that the Confederate flag is about heritage, not hate. Right. I mean, there's tons of these lies. They're all over the place. Take the biggest one. The war didn't have anything to do with slavery. A few years ago, the Pew Research Center did a survey and found that most Americans think that that one is true. And it's not just your grandparents. The demographic most likely to say states' rights were people under 30, 60 percent. These myths are woven deep into our culture. They're old. They started bubbling up the moment the war ended. Taken together, these lies are called the lost cause, and they represent the most successful campaign to push fake news in American history. We're actually going deep on that origin story in an upcoming episode. But the live show was about tearing down the myths today, in the present. We all see this stuff on Twitter and Facebook, but do you try to engage these people? Do you try to educate them, challenge them? And if you do want to do this, how? So we invited three people who come face-to-face with these lies on a regular basis to help us figure out what to do when we run into them. The conversation was honest and real. So there's a couple of cuss words if you're listening with small kids. Let's get right to it. So please welcome Christy Coleman. Yeah. Al Letson. Nicole Hannah-Jones. Yeah. So let me introduce our panel, uh, starting from the left. Christy Coleman is the CEO of the uh, American Civil War Museum. Yeah. Give it up, give it up for Christy. Yeah, now. <laughs> Al Letson is the host of Reveal, a podcast from the Center for Investigative Reporting. Yeah, give it up for Al. He Nicole, wanted Han- Nicole. Yep. Oh, yeah, he won the Peabody. Yeah, don't, don't, we're not done with Al. Al <laughs> does never, everything. Never. <laughs> <laughs> he won the Peabody Award for his previous show, State of the Reunion, and because he has to do everything, he also has an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole Hannah-Jones, writer for the New York Times Magazine. <laughs> does pieces for This American Life. Yeah. And her story, Worlds Apart, won the National Magazine Award last year. I have a Peabody, too. (laughs) She does. (laughs) I have an Emmy, too. I'm up for my second Emmy tomorrow night. I'm just saying. I can have two. I can have two by the end of the week. I'm just saying. There we go. All right, all right. All right, you know, I, you know, I just want to start with you, Christy, because you run a Civil War museum right now at this moment. Yeah, I, I am the CEO of the American Civil War Museum, and actually we are um, actually the merger 
of the American Civil War Center, where I was CEO before, which was the first museum mm -hmm. to explore the Civil War from Union, Confederate, and African-American wow. perspectives. Uh, and we merged with the Museum of the Confederacy. Oh, wow. In 2013. Oh, wow. How'd so I'm go? the CEO of that. Uh, it's been fascinating. <laughs> it's been fascinating. Um, because... Uh, you know, I mean, the reality is, you, like you kicked off with the, with the start of the show, I mean, people are wedded to lost cause. It is a part of um, family, like, it's family lore. This is belief. This thing is passed on from generation to generation. Some Southern whites really cling to this. Mm. And so any conversation or any... Um, exploration of this war from any perspective other than that um, is met with all kinds of interesting things. And you can only imagine, I mean, when I came to take this job nine years ago and I walked in the door, they right didn't know what to think. Right then and there, it was right over. Oh. It was over. It so was can you over. think of a, like a specific moment, a conversation that just stands out for you? Sure. I mean, I had a man walk in my office a major collector um, walked into my office and decided to tell me that the best thing that ever happened to black people was slavery. Oh, wow. And that we, had, we were incapable of controlling ourselves and that the lie that has been perpetuated that slavery was somehow a bad thing um, was... Um, just that. So, yeah. He walked into, <laughs> he walked what, what into the museum and said that? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. He walked into my office and said that. So what do you say and, back? Um, well, quite frankly, after just being stunned at the audacity of it, because I don't think anybody would just turn, show up at the, your museum and then just walk into the president's office at the <laughs> Met, right, and want to talk stuff. But, you know, we're a small staff, so everybody, they didn't catch him before he got to me, right? <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, I said, well, here's the problem. Not only are you wrong, you're fucking wrong. <laughs> so let me break it down <laughs> and let me explain to you everything that is wrong. I said, because, yikes, wow. we got it. We got, you know, and, and honestly... In most cases like that, I mean, that's more of an extreme case. Right. Um, in most cases like that, um, you're not going to change somebody's mind. Mm. What I appreciate more and what has more impact for me in the work, and, and I know for our staff, is that person that comes in that genuinely is open to learning something that they did not know. Mm -hmm. and, and seeing a perspective that they had not considered before. How many out of 100 are that person. One? One. Yeah. <laughs> so At least one. I, and I might be being overly... Um, generous. Generous. To the one. Uh, one to the one. I, you know, I, I have not had anybody else step to me like that. I think the word got out pretty quickly. Can I ask a question of any of y'all? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I probably came to know the Lost Cause story a little differently than everybody on the stage. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> it's like on every plaque. Yes. It's in every yes. wall. Yeah. Yeah. It's on every building. No. You know, and it's just like in the air, or at least the white air. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, like, how did you how did you even come to how did you come to know the Civil War? I grew up 
uh, not far from Charleston. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, which mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people, when I say I grew up in Florida, they tend to think of Florida as the Sunshine State. But Jacksonville is actually much more the Old South. It's totally. much more South Georgia yeah. Yeah. than it is uh, anything else. Now, I grew up in Jacksonville, but I'm originally from New Jersey. So when I moved from New Jersey, I was about 12 years old. And, um, you know, I had the education from being in the North that when I came down to the South, like, none of it made sense to me. The school that I was supposed to go to was Nathan Bedford Forest High School. Get out. I swear to God. Tell everybody who Nathan Bedford Forest is. So Nathan Forrest Bedford Forest uh, was actually the man who perpetuated the worst mass killing in American history. Like, right now, when we talk about mass killings, obviously, we're talking about Las Vegas and not to take anything away from that tragedy. But uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest killed, like, 200 African Americans, uh, like right at the beginning of the Civil War, who were prisoners. Like he, he, they were already captured, and he just killed them all. Um, I have heard people in Jacksonville make such ridiculous claims about how that was okay. Um, he also founded the Klan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's his major thing. Right. Thank you. His major thing. <laughs> I mean, literally, my senior year of high school a white guy took pictures of all the black kids from the yearbook, uh, except me. He didn't use me, which I was always offended by. But he used all these other black <laughs> right. kids, and there was a hit list of all the black people that he was going to kill. Mm. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it was... Uh, so, like, that's the, that's the South that I grew up in. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I basically learned it the same way you did, but being that I was from up north when I moved down, I, c I had a consciousness of it, like this is all some serious bullshit. So, Nicole, I just wanted to ask, I, I know, okay, in addition to all the other incredible things that you do, you're also very influential on Twitter, you know, I follow you, and as you know, Twitter is um, the greatest... I know I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter is the greatest home for misinformation ever invented by human beings. So what's the biggest, what's the Civil War myth that you see out there that, that bothers you the most? Um, I would say some of the biggest myths that I hear on Twitter is one, that the North was not implicated in slavery. Mm -hmm. That somehow, if your uh, ancestors lived in the North, you have clean hands, which oh, we know that, not, yeah, again... The economic driver of this country, the reason we become a superpower, is because of slave labor. Um, mostly cotton, which of course is how we get an industrial revolution, because you have that cotton being produced, which then is, you know, goes into the factories in the north. Um, but every industry, insurance industry, right, uh, shipbuilding, um, I mean, banking, you can just go down the line of every part of our country is implicated in slavery, but we, what I hear on Twitter all the time is, my family wasn't in the South, we never owned slaves, so therefore, we have nothing to do with slavery. Right. And in fact, we fought to free you, right? Mm. Which is also the thing that you hear. One, knowing that most um, people in the Civil War fighting for the North were not fighting to end slavery. That's right. They were fighting to preserve the Union, which is not the same thing. And, and had we been able to preserve the Union while preserving slavery, we would have done that. It just... It ended yeah. up being a political attack. Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln said, said it. it. Yeah, yes, time. of course, right? I mean, the Emancipation yeah. Proclamation only frees those who are enslaved in places that have left the Union. That's right. If you were a slaveholding state that remained in the Union, you could keep your slaves. Um, so I think those, that myth uh, is probably one of the most pernicious. And then also the myth that somehow slavery was not 
a profitable institution. Oh yeah, that I, yeah, th yeah, th yeah. We imported millions right. of black folks and fought a war, the deadliest war in the history of our country, over an institution that somehow didn't make any fucking money. I just, like I just want, let me just, let me just, let me just say, you had, you had, you had an time. incredible Twitter uh, exchange about this topic, and I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go into that for just a minute. Can we go into Twitter for a minute? I want to look at this. So, so you were in a Twitter conversation, okay. right? And somebody named... This is not my best moment. Let me just say, I, I was a little... Well, Fluffy's <laughs> in the house. It's a good moment. Um, you sometimes forget that like, people can see what you write on Twitter, right? Like, <laughs> so somebody named Fluffy jumped in. <laughs> and they were like, ironically, it was pretty unprofitable as slave labor tends to be less productive than paid labor. It was about racism. <sighs> and then you responded... Dude, no. That is, in a word, asinine. Seriously, don't jump into a discussion with zero facts. Let me school you. And people, let me just tell y'all, this is as good as it got for Fluffy, okay? From there, Nicole goes in. Your well, actually, is one of the most pervasive and ludicrous myths to come out of post-Reconstruction America. In 1860, 80% of our GMP was tied to slavery. The dollar value of the enslaved was worth more than all other U.S. commodities combined. And it didn't stop there. You just kept going. I was like, yo, you just, it was like, it was like a whole lot of tweets, right? You, you know, banking. And then eventually, I think, eventually you even assigned some readings, which I, I, did, I, yes. I feel you. <laughs> I feel you on that. That was like 41 tweets. It was, it was, a, it was a lengthy threat. Yeah, that was, that was serious. So I just want to slow down and like kind of walk back to that moment. So you're at your desk probably about to write something awesome, incredible. And I was actually trying to finish a cover story. Okay. I had to take a little pause. Okay, all right, so you're finishing the cover story and you see Fluffy's tweet. <laughs> <laughs> this is like drug history for real. <laughs> so what, what goes through your mind? What, what? It's just, one, it's like, it, I mean, like I said, it's actually the most asinine thing you can say is that you would steal millions of people. I mean, millions of people didn't come to the United States, but we stole millions of people from the continent. We build entire industries over this, right? The most wealth is concentrated in the South. The mm. first shot comes out of Fort Sumter because South Carolina had more millionaires than any place else in the country, more than New York, more than anywhere else. And then you want to tell me that slavery was actually a very inefficient form of labor. I don't know about you, but I can go home at the end of the day and I can choose how long I'm gonna work. But when you own someone and you can literally beat them to death to make them produce for you, it's the most insulting thing to somehow say that that was just inefficient and somehow white folks just decided to steal and enslave people and, and to pass laws that not only would they be enslaved for their entire lives, but all their progeny and all the progeny after them would be enslaved forever. And to say that somehow it wasn't because that made money it just, it angers me. Nicole, what I want to know is, did that work? What, what was Fluffy's response oh, to that? So it was a typical response, which is after I disproved his whole shitty tweet with all of my mm -hmm. actual facts, then he starts to change what he was actually saying in the tweet. Ah, that no, moved. I wasn't yeah, actually saying this, move. I was saying that, and then I'm like screenshotting, like, no, this is what you said. This is exactly <laughs> what you said, and, and it wasn't that. So I, I also think people... Um, I don't know. It, 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 I... 
So you think, I mean, so he changed his screenshot. Do you think he, like, actually changed his mind? Yeah, I, I don't think he actually knew enough. I mean, this is, this is, again, like, what we face all the time. Like, we study this, and some, like, person who's never studied it, never read a book on it, knows almost nothing about it, feels like they have the right to, like, tell you what is the truth. If, if, if I don't know something about something, I literally would tell you, I don't know enough about that to like engage on this topic. Like I, don't, I just don't know. I'm just, I'm just gonna walk into a sur surgery room and be like, no, exactly. no, you're doing that wrong, dog. You like, move. Hand me the scalpel. Come on, man. Like you, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't normally do that, but I think people feel free to do that with black folks all the time. All the That's time. Right. Yeah. And 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 I think you know if I can add. I mean the the in this particular case when you're talking about history. You know, history is a dissemination, not just of the facts that have been left behind, but it's a dissemination of the kinds of questions that folks are asking. That's why one of the things that makes me insane is people who say, well, you're just, you know, revisionist history, and that's not real history. And history is always revising because we are always asking new questions. And when new questions are brought to the table, we go back to the source material to find the answers. That's what we do. Yes. Right? <laughs> and in the days of self curated content, which is what we're dealing with today. You all can go out there and find anything to support your mm -hmm. little piece of whatever you need to make you feel whole and that your world is not falling apart because somebody's just told you that something is completely different than the way that you thought. That argument that, that Nicole was just talking about, slavery didn't make money. Why do you think the Confederacy went to war? Right. Hmm. I mean, think about this for a minute. The American South, the 13 states of the American South, provided 90% of the world's market for cotton. Cotton, absolutely. Wow. 90%. They had the sixth largest economy in the world when they decide to pull the trigger yes. and leave the United States. This was no small decision. This wasn't brother against brother right. over states' rights. If it was states' rights, they would have gone to war when Pennsylvania and New York said, we are not enforcing the Fugitive Slave Acts and returning your slaves. You see how mad she still is about this? Though <laughs> 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 so I would fact, argue... I would argue it was about states' rights. It was the states' rights to own, own slaves. slaves. Right. 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 Exactly. Nobody was studying on what the reasons were back then. They were very clear, very, very clear. explicit. It is only now, I mean, what I always say is like, black people are the most inconvenient truth about America, mm. right? right? Like, we don't want to acknowledge that George Washington owned hundreds of people, right? Thomas Jefferson in the original Declaration of Independence castigates slavery, but has to take it out in order to get signers to the Declaration. And then it's like, actually, I kind of need this money, so I'm gonna keep mine too, right? right? So I think like, as we, as we try to tell ourselves that we are this exceptional nation, the type of nation that had never been seen in the history of the world, but then you have this entire population of people who are only here because they were deprived of every one of those liberties that our country was founded on. We're inconvenient as fuck. Mm -hmm. So you have to write us out of all that. You That's have to, right. it's yeah. so interesting when we're talking about the monuments. The only time most white folks ever want to talk about George Washington owning slaves is when they're like, why you want to tear down this monument right. to like Confederate soldiers? George Washington owned slaves. But all the rest of the time, right. they don't we don't want to talk about that shit. No. Yeah, we don't, we don't, want to be like, why you got to bring that up? Why you have to bring up the fact that he owns slaves, right? And so it's like we, we have always been the most inconvenient narrative. And that's why there is, there, it is a national conspiracy to teach the Civil War in a certain way. It is not a Southern conspiracy. I mean, they have their own shit. Um, 
but we all need this. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Al Letson tells us a story from when he was in his 20s about his friend Rod, who loved the Confederate flag. Hey, we're back with the second half of our live show with Al Letson, Christy Coleman, and Nicole Hannah-Jones, tearing down the lies about the Civil War. We'll jump in with the story Al told about a friend of his, and Al's struggle to change his mind. When I was, um, many years ago, I used to be a flight attendant. And when I was a flight attendant, I've, you know, when you're a flight attendant, a lot of times you end up flying with uh, a group of, uh, you know, two pilots or in a group of fly, fly, uh, flight attendants for the same month. And uh, I flew with this one guy from South Carolina. His name was Rod. And Rod was such a good dude. He was so good. And back then, I wasn't making any money. So a lot of times, I mean, like, we made zero money as flight attendants back then. A lot of times, like, I would go to my hotel room, and I would steal the pretzels from the plane so I could eat, because I, I just did not have enough money to eat. And if Rod saw me doing that, he would stop me, and he would pay for my food. You know, like, he was that good of a dude. Every time we talked about the Civil War, though, he could never understand what that flag meant to me. And like to this day, like I have all of these like strong emotions towards Rod because he was, he loved me. I loved him. We were boys, you know. But every time we would talk about the flag, he just didn't understand it. And I could tell him over and over about the times that the flag has haunted me. I mean. Literally, I grew up in a city where like white dudes surrounded my house and spit on my mother. I mean, like there was like 20 of them. They surrounded my house, spit on my mother. And most of those dudes at the time had T-shirts with Confederate flags on. But I could tell Rod all of that, every little bit of it. And this is a guy that would buy me food when I didn't have anything. And he still could not hear it. But here's what I want to know. What, so what did he say? What, what, how would he actually heritage. respond? He would be like, you know, heritage. It, it, do, it has nothing to do with, with you and slavery. Uh, it has nothing to do with black people. Like, I love black people. My best friends are black folks. But, like, this is about my family and heritage. About, yeah, yeah, I cared yeah. about him. I, I cared about him because he showed me that he cared about me. But that was the one thing that we would never be able to cross, no matter how hard we tried, which taught me a lot about like when I'm posting comments on Twitter, I'm not posting it to the people who are hardened in their belief. <coughs> I'm posting it to all the other people that, are, that go into your museum and are curious and want to understand. Right. I'm posting it for the people that can be swayed. But, but there's so many people out there that they're never gonna change their opinion. And, and, and that's the thing I kinda wanna know is like, what, how, how can we decide? Because I just see the energy that we're putting in mm -hmm. to teach these folks you know, who are not paying us, you know, for that. You know what I mean? Sometimes you got to clap back just to clap back, though. So, so I, I need, like, a. do you have, like, a rule book? Like, if you get the tweet, you get no. the question, how do I know when to respond mm. or when, you know? No, if I'm just at work and I'm feeling frustrated and I see that tweet, <laughs> you might get it. You might get this work. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm typically tweeting at work, so I am getting paid, technically. Right, but. yes. Right. <laughs> well, I, I, Sometimes... Sometimes my editor be like, stop tweeting and write the story. I'm like, sorry. But you, you kind of have some folks where you can tell within the first tweet or two, like, they're not actually really interested in engaging. They just want to troll. They, they're not interested. And pretty much I might write, like, one snarky tweet, and then I'm, I'm done with that. I can't waste my energy on that. Right. But then there's, like, a lot of folks who just legitimately don't know. 
They don't know. They've been taught the same myth that most of us have been taught, and they haven't self-educated because people are interested in a lot of different things. The history might not be it. And those are the folks that I'll actually try to engage with, which is why I will give a reading list. I'm like, actually, if you really want to know, read this book. You know, mm-hmm. look at this article. Um, or in a series of 140, you know, characters that I can thread together, I can give you a brief history lesson, which at least will make you think, damn, I... I I never thought about it that way. I didn't know. I'm a journalist because I feel like my job is to inform and to try to help people understand the world that we live in. And so that's, that's what ultimately I feel my responsibility is. Sometimes it will be in a 10,000 word piece and sometimes it will be in a couple of tweets and you reach very different audiences with both of those things. So I think it is, I don't know about you, but it does feel like very quickly you can, you can determine which people are serious and Absolutely. just really don't know and which people are just being assholes. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the other thing that, 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 that like comes to mind and what Nicole's saying as, as a journalist is that what tends to happen is that like if you're a white person, people think that you can be impartial. Mm-hmm. And if you're a black person, like you've got a stake in it. But the truth of America is that we all have a stake in race in America. Absolutely. That every... I, I, Nicole said this and I, I wasn't... Um, at the speech when you said it, but like I've been like, yes, is that like every beat in America is about race because America, you can't get away from it. And when people start talking about like, oh, well, you're doing um, identity politics, all politics are identity politics. (laughs) We just don't call it identity politics when it's white people, but it's all identity politics. 100%. We do since November. Yeah, yeah. But even then, right? I mean, yeah, if you right. look at what's been written since November, it's that yeah. the Democrats' problem was that they were worried about identity politics, mm. as if Donald Trump did not run exclusively on, on white identity, identity politics, politics, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but, but that's, that's be, I mean, that is inherently the problem. Like, right. I, if you look at my Twitter bio, I say I write about race from 1619, right? 12 years after the English land on this continent, we have imported Africans and determined that they will be slaves. 12 years. So to somehow believe that we can disconnect black racism and slavery from America is insane. It is in the DNA of our country. It is our country. This is who we are. And I think that is the ugliest truth that we can't face. We cannot face that because we, you know, I hear people all the time who are like, I didn't own slaves. I had nothing to do with that. You didn't sign the Declaration of Independence either, but you're claiming that shit. So I'm going to need you, right? You don't get to pick your heritage, right? right it's right. all, we have, to, we have to take it all, but we only want to take like the, the good parts and not the bad. Um, so, you know. Hey, y'all, I'm going to jump in here. We talked a lot more with our guests, and we're actually going to post the uncut audio of the whole event on our website, uncivil.show. But to finish up the podcast, I wanted to skip ahead to one last response from Christy Coleman. We were talking about the Confederate flag and about how more and more places are taking it down, but how at the same time, it seems to be making a resurgence. You see it all the time now on front yards, shirts, bumper stickers, Nazi rallies. And you hear people saying that the Confederate flag is not a symbol of racism, but a symbol of heritage. And Christie said, no. First of all, during the war, there was no single Confederate flag. Because I can take you in our vaults Uh, in our collection, and I can show you 350 different Confederate flags, Confederate battle flags. Mm -hmm. One has uh, an image of Pocahontas on it. Another one is just a field of blue with a big white circle and it says home. Mm -hmm. Another one, so what people identify as the battle flag today 
the Confederate battle flag today, is in fact the flag from the Army of Tennessee. This is a flag that Nathan Forrest, Bedford Forrest wanted to, General Forrest wanted to, he was the cavalryman. He wanted to be able to, to have this flag and to do his thing. But after the war, this flag was not showing up in public spaces. Robert E. Lee said don't fly it. He said he didn't want to, quote, keep open the sores of the Civil War. Instead, he wanted to, quote, obliterate the marks of civil strife. And so you didn't really see it. But then World War II happened. Southern men headed off to war and picked it up again. And they started taking not just any flag, but Bedford's flag. Because you know what happened in 1939 besides the invasion of Poland? Gone with the wind. Mm. This is important. Popular culture is important. Gone with the wind. So now it's cool to be from the Mm -hmm. South Mm -hmm. because we are noble. And these guys, these young guys, took these flags with them into the war. And then they came home feeling victorious and their government was now telling them that their America was going to be something else with Brown v. Board and other civil rights legislations that's coming through. And what do they do? They take the flag, Bedford's flag, and they fly it every chance they get. And they use it as a weapon of intimidation. So that is the heritage attached to the rectangular flag, stars and bars. What I find even more insidious today, you talk about the flag coming down, what I find really interesting and kind of insidious today is you may find in the South now, you may not see that happening, but now there's a different flag that's showing up. They're flying the second national flag of the Confederacy because people don't know what that is. Hmm. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's a circle of white stars, 11 or 13, with a red stripe, a white stripe, and a red stripe. That's what they're flying now. Which is worse? I don't know. Because they're both about the Confederacy, right? Theoretically, right? So I guess all of this is to say, when it comes to these monuments, they have multiple meaning. Um, When they were going up, they were to mourn a generation that was dying away, the generation that had fought in this war. But they were also going up at a time when the white South in particular, and not just the South, let me just say, when the nation was reasserting white supremacy Mm -hmm. and we were getting more segregationist policies, North and South, and these were going up because nobody was defending the rights anymore that had been guaranteed in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. People get all pissy about the Second Amendment, but nobody gets pissy about the clear language in the 15th Amendment, really short amendment, the right to vote shall not be abridged by any state on the basis of former condition. I mean, really, it's simple. But that's exactly what they did. And that turned the season. So if it wasn't about war, and wasn't about slavery, if it wasn't about black people, if it wasn't about all, why did this as a nation work so doggone hard to suppress a whole group of folk over and over and over again. Thank okay. girl. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Well, folks, that is our show. And now some credits. Uncivil is produced by Chris Neary, Chiquita Pascal, and Saeed Tijan Thomas. Yeah, that's my team. Give them up. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler, editing by Pat Walters. Yeah. Jorge Just, Caitlin Kenny, and Alex Bloomberg. Thanks also to Brittany Luce from The Nod and James Cabrera, who did our visuals. And also, a quick shout out about the music. Man, we took the music real seriously. So the original music that's been made for Uncivil was written by our own Bobby Lord and Matthew Bowl in collaboration with Ann Caldwell and the Magnolia Singers, as well as Mount Zion AME Choir on Glebe Street in Charleston. Hey. Thanks again for coming out, y'all. You'll see y'all at the bar. You're lit! Since we recorded this live show, Nicole Hannah-Jones won a MacArthur Fellowship. Congratulations, Nicole. We're hard at work on the next episode, so we'll be back in two weeks. And on that episode, we'll take you back to the very afternoon when the Lost Cause, the root of Confederate mythology, caught fire. Wow, what's the catechism? It's a call and response. And they would say, you know, why was the war fought? And the response the children were supposed to say was, you know, the war was fought over states' rights, not slavery. Were masters cruel to their slaves? No, they were benevolent, they were kind to their slaves, a cruel master being rare. It was like an after-school club. Hey.